deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the Griffin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans. I'm your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz. Yeah. Hmm. It's been one week since we recorded a podcast and said, boy, I sure hope J.K. Rowling doesn't do anything or say anything stupid between now and our next recording. Mm, I remember myself saying something along the lines of how frustrated I was that there was still some level of plausible deniability about her shittiness to the mainstream public. It feels like that was 100 years ago. Yeah, um, I think in general this year, a lot of us, even, you know, even before these specific events, a lot of us have felt like, boy, it sure feels like the whole, there are weeks where decades happen thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Has, has, has been proven true. I feel like that has compounded in so many ways for us <laughs> specifically recently yeah we've reached we've reached the singularity for sure centuries have happened in days for us i think at this point but yeah i i i guess there was there was a like a lingering thought that we had about how this probably last week we thought like you know this this sucks but it's probably not going to be the thing that gets everyone to turn against her blah 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 this was on her last transphobic rant uh and since then some stuff's happened. Mm-hmm. Probably, if you are listening to this, you know what's coming uh, and, and want to hear us talk about it. But just in case you are not aware of what's going on, we are going to be talking pretty fairly, de- in, you know, in fairly detailed terms about J.K. Rowling's latest, I would call it Turf Manifesto, and some of the, the discourse surrounding that. So if that doesn't sound fun or pleasant to you... I'll put another timestamp in like I did next week, but it's probably just going to be this entire new segment. Yeah, and to be clear, that's that's transphobia, that's ableism, that's sexual assault. That's, yes. I mean, it's it's all it's all fucking in there. All so. of the above. But I suppose, uh, with that being said, it is time for us to start at the beginning, which is June 6th. Seemingly, honestly, completely at random, because mm-hmm. she had gone back to as we noted last week, just retweeting Ichabog shit every 10 seconds and and flooding the timeline. Yep. She randomly linked to an article with, uh, not even an article, an editorial, an opinion piece called Creating a More Equal Post-COVID-19 World for People Who Menstruate. And J.K. Rowling just, I, I suppose, took great offense to this and said... People who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Wumbin? Wimpund? Woomud? Is that really the best she could do? Yeah, she, yeah, professional writer. <laughs> not much of a dunk, honestly. <laughs> you what, got the him. punchline is not very good. Wimpud is a pretty, Wimpund is a pretty good word, I would say. Wumbin, yeah. I'm pretty sure, is what the guy in Banjo-Kazooie says when you, when you get a new transformation thing from him. That's right. Woomud. Just, that one's just bad. That one just that, that I can't even make a joke for that one. It's so bad. Um, but uh, everyone, everyone immediately 
responded more or less in, in, in time with, huh? What? What's up? And she continued, I've spent much of the last three years reading books, blogs, and scientific papers by trans people, medics, and gender specialists. I know exactly what the distinction is. Never assume that because someone thinks differently, they have no knowledge. Um, she continued this transphobic rant. She did a hilarious Nathan Fielder ass thing where she said, one of my best friends just called me self-described butch lesbian. It's hard to tell because she was shouting quite loudly, but I could just make out fucking yes, which I'm sure happened. I'm very sure that that really happened. (laughs) Um, uh, and then finally capped everything off with someone telling her takes one turf to know another, I guess. And JK saying, feminazi, turf, bitch, witch, times change, woman hate is eternal. Then she kept digging the hole deeper, and I think this is where things, I think this is where things finally got to the point you you were talking about with like, okay, this is no longer, there's no longer like one iota of, of um, plausible deniability, right? Like, she's been couching all of this stuff in enough normal quote-unquote sounding feminist language up till this point that i think there there was a a, 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 there was a little bit of wiggle room for people to who aren't like clued in on like how turf rhetoric operates to like read her stuff and go like oh she's just asking questions right right but then she dropped this bomb if sex isn't real there's no same-sex attraction if sex isn't real the live reality of women globally is erased i know and love trans people hmm. but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability to make of many to meaningfully discuss their lives it isn't hate to speak the truth the idea that women like me who've been empathetic to trans people for decades again hmm Feeling kinship because they're vulnerable in the same ways as women, i.e. to male violence, hate trans people because they think sex is real and has lived consequences, is a nonsense. Good job. Uh, I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so. Some stunning stuff. Some stunning stuff, top to bottom. I've never seen the word if do much do so much heavy lifting. Uh, <laughs> I'd march with you if you were discriminated on the basis of being trans. Mm-hmm. That is a powerful statement from J.K. Rowling. Fucked on many levels. And I think it's crazy to a lot of people. And I think this is where finally a lot of people start to realize, oh, you are just hateful. This isn't this is no longer just asking questions. This is no longer something you can wave away as uh like skeptic, you know, to 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 to, to be a reddit asshole uh, uh scientific skepticism of 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 uh, transness. This is now just full on hate speech. Yeah. So that was where things stopped for a while. She linked an article from a uh a, a <laughs> very impartial uh, uh, a turfy news website called the Velvet Chronicle, which, funnily enough, like if you went to the article that she linked, and then went to the main page, it was uh, there were multiple like articles about how cool J.K. Rowling is on there. So I wonder why she <laughs> chose that website to to boost. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where things stayed for a few days, and in the meantime, there we had some backlash 
thankfully, from people close to J.K. Rowling. There were a few people, and I forget their names. I didn't. I didn't catalog all of this, but there were a couple of people who apparently had worked with her at like WB. Um, mm. Spoke out against her. Uh, the biggest one, of course, being Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter himself. I guess <laughs> to a lot of people speaking yeah. out. And I will say honestly. His out of all of the responses so far, I think his has been the best. I mm-hmm. think I think Dan's Daniel Radcliffe's statement is good and compassionate, and you know, even though it does teeter a little bit in the last paragraph, a little bit too far into like preserving the sanctity of the fandom for my taste or whatever, yeah. it's still very sweet, right? Like like uh, he he seems like a good egg. Um, Katie Lung, who played uh, Cho Chang. Uh, in in the um, films had a very funny thread. He was where she was like, "Oh, you want uh, you want me to say something about Cho Chang? Uh, well, here you go. Here's my experience." And then all the follow ups in the thread were just her linking to trans and Black Lives Matter charities, which I thought was quite cute. She seems great. Uh, Ivana Lynch put out a terrible statement. Yeah, she's probably the worst of the worst of the celeb statements. I would say. Yeah, um, where she like kind of nominally says like oh it's bad to be mean to trans people but also have you considered people are being very mean to joe (sighs) and we all just need to come together and be nice to each other um so fuck that that sucks but but this this became a thing oh and uh uh eddie redmayne also so he he gave an okay statement which i I will get to Mm-hmm. later because there's some other interesting implications with that one i think but sorry what, what were you gonna say oh i uh, i think that the eddie redmayne one and maybe ivana lynch and the emma watson one came after the manifesto oh that's right yes yeah, that is an important detail yeah the uh the manifesto the timing of the manifesto is is interesting yeah i think katie lung and daniel radcliffe got theirs in before the manifesto yes just speaking of celebs right that that had an official response so it seemed like the tide had turned i mean like we we were talking you know even before this this uh uh follow-up uh blog post that joe gave there was uh about four days where it seemed like the evil had been defeated jk rowling had tried uh, had fucked around and found out and uh and posted too hard and just left Twitter. She's she was not on Twitter. The last thing she did was like her own link to that fucking Velvet Chronicle article and bounced. And so for a while it was kind of like, okay, so Daniel Radcliffe is out here uh 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 you know saying that she's being transphobic. Uh all her a bunch of former colleagues are yelling at her. She's gone from Twitter. Is this it? Are we done? Are we finally through with this shit? What happens next? Yeah, and that wouldn't be unprecedented no. either. I mean, the last time she, I don't know, posted that uh, fucking uh, Jeremy Corbyn poem, <laughs> right. and then and then bounced because people made fun of her, right? Yeah. So, um, and and I, and I remember she she came back and posted the the other um, thing about the Maya Forest, Forrester case, and then mm-hmm. bounced again. Um, so, which hilarious timing like in the middle of this marketing blast for the ichabog that this that she would do this Mm -hmm. i mean it's very funny um the like posts in the ichabog tag people that are 
just still sending in their artwork for this marketing <laughs> blast that is now over as far as I can tell. And I would be very curious what her contract with Bloomsbury and Scholastic is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's put a pin in that because I think, I think post, uh, post um, manifesto, which is what we'll talk about next. I think a lot of people are wondering what next, right? Like, like who can possibly work with her now and feel good about it? But um, June 10th, yesterday, uh, something, I, want, I don't want to say miraculous, because it sure, certainly is not good, but, uh, but we, the, a Rubicon was crossed, I think. Um, and she posted a very, very, very long blog post attempting to explain her reasoning and her uh, uh, motivation for constantly yelling about trans people all the time. And this is a little difficult to tackle. I'm certainly not going to read the whole thing on here. Um, one, because I, I obviously I don't want to give it that detailed a platform, but also two, it's just fucking boring uh, and, and long and badly written, honestly. Like, it's not even... It's not even like, oh wow, this has the touch of Joe or anything in it. It's just it's just a mess. But um but where where do you want to start with this thing? Um I think that's tough. I've been kind of going back and forth about it. Um I saw that she posted it while I was at work and I skimmed it. And I basically spent my day yesterday reading screenshots from it, mm -hmm. scrolling through it getting upset, walking away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I know I talked about this last week because I talked about being um, pretty incensed uh, and moved out of the realm of any kind of laughing at her when she was um, threatening that person on Twitter with legal yes, action. Yes. Um, but I think that this is probably, probably the point in, in our entire thing, like, obviously, it makes me mad, and we have known for a long time that she has been a turf, right? Yes. And that makes me mad for the, for the sake of it, right? <laughs> yeah. But to see this and read it is pretty upsetting. Oh, yeah. I read the, I read the whole thing this morning, because I, I woke up, and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't actually, like, sit down and read it um, top to bottom. So I think it's important, to, I, like, I... I don't know about you, but I don't think that there's really much point in going and, like, debunking it. No. I, I think that anyone that's listening is probably on the same page as us. And yes. if not, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, but I think that it is important to talk about what this is um, as a piece of writing that she's putting in front of 14 million people, um, which is that it is um, turf recruitment propaganda. Yes, that is the it, important part. It hits every, you know, spot on the bingo card here. It's it's got it all, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's got rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's got you know, uh, people with with autism are being tricked into becoming trans. It's got. I mean, it's just it is just foul, um, top to bottom, um, and it is. It is a re recruitment tool. It, yes, it is. It is a recruitment tool, and uh, and you know a reiteration of many of the same drums that these people have been banging uh, for for 
years and years at this point. Um, it has it has the uh, I don't want to say benefit, but it certainly. We've talked a little bit before about how like J.K. Rowling, regardless of her political beliefs, is maybe just kind of a mean and sad person. Um, and I think if there's one silver lining to this piece and and the way it is written and the way that it regurgitates all of these uh, uh, turf talking points is that it sure is nakedly cruel, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we we you know we 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 we've we've been talking about how frustrating it is that like oh it's possible for people to misunderstand or be hoodwinked by the use of like recognizable feminist language in a lot of turf propaganda stuff because it is often written in a way that sounds reasonable and is uh um uh is written in a passive enough voice where it's like easy to trick people into thinking like oh this is this isn't like hate speech this is just skepticism or science right like it's not as openly cruel as this piece is which just leaves no nothing to the imagination i mean she she is dropping not only like the typical uh turf like talking points in here she's also dog whistling a lot of shitty stuff in here i mean i i think one of the most powerfully evil uh uh uh, moments in this thing is when she uh uh uh, writes that uh you know the ratio of of people wanting to transition has reversed from uh more um and, and excuse me for using her shitty language here but like this is this is her quote Most people probably aren't aware. I certainly wasn't until I started researching this issue properly that 10 years ago, the majority of people wanting to transition to the opposite sex were male. That ratio has now reversed. The UK has experienced a 4,400% increase in girls being referred uh, referred for transition treatment. Autistic girls are hugely overrepresented in their numbers. End of paragraph. What are you trying to say, Joe? What are you leaving that one dangling out there for? Hmm. It's just despicable. And like, but again, like I say, it's like what nobody can read this. I don't think. And not have, you know, if someone who is not already drunk, the Kool-Aid as it were on being a turf, I don't think there's any way to read this and not realize how cruel and miserable it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of of two minds about it because on the one hand, like, Yes, I, I think that a part of being a bigot and a person like this is that you are in the Kool-Aid and you don't realize what you're saying contradicts itself, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you can't you can't logic your way through this. And so I think that it ends up being more self-revealing than you mean it to. I mean, like, it would not be hard to walk point by point through this and point out what's a contradiction and what is made up and what is a lie, right? No, because I mean, there, there is all there, that it is. There is a good, fairly good thread by, I bookmarked this, uh, Andrew James Carter on Twitter, who who runs Podium, which is like a, um, you know, anti-bullying resource management site or whatever, but like he he did a thread where he just like walks through it point by point by point and you know 
uh, counters all of the scientific claims and and the numbers claims and whatnot in here. If you are interested in that, I would suggest going and reading that. However, I'm sure pretty much everyone here is on the same page, right? Like, like not mm-hmm. not for not useful for us to go through and do that. Yeah. On the other hand, I think that that's really easy to say from a position of being educated on the topic and maybe is a little bit too dismissive. I mean, yes, it is inherently cruel and evil, and that is apparent on its face, but it is propaganda for a reason. Like these points are propaganda for a reason Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, in that they are going to appeal to a common sense skeptical liberal and and i do and i kind of want to circle around because we talk about that language we say like oh skepticism or just asking questions and all of that and that's kind of the same language that we would use when we're talking about you know like someone like um if you're trying to debunk a stefan molyneux video (laughs) right right? yeah And, and because it's the same shit right yeah and i don't say that lightly i don't know what J.K. Rowling's stance about racism is, right? But it is foolhardy to not know that this kind of violent transphobia oftentimes is holding hands with racism and fascism. Oh, yeah. Always. I mean, I mean, Always. Before she posted the manifesto, uh, the people who were applauding her in you know in the replies and 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 on their own their own feeds and whatnot were Blair White, Ian Miles Chong, like just just plenty of of you know the the rogues gallery of of the fucking you know right wing Twitterati were were loving this, um, like just it, it is. You know, not everyone, no, no one on planet Earth holds, you know, like completely consistent political beliefs because a lot of the stuff is unconscious, right? But at the same time, it is very hard to square J.K. Rowling, the like, you know, the famous, f- famous, uh, 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 famous liberal who taught us all about compassion and and how racism is bad. It's it's impossible to square that with this rhetoric and and maybe she doesn't believe that shit now, but this is such a shocking glimpse into like how her brain works that it sure seems like it would be easy to to get her into that other shit, right? I mean, like this is beyond like gateway bigotry, right? Like she's in, she is immersed in this stuff, and I know that the the for the most part like the rad femme community imagines themselves as liberal left-wing people otherwise right Mm -hmm. but strange how they borrow all of the same language and tactics from the far right i mean i really i really need the harry potter fandom to get a clue here you know i i've seen some posts and i think that they're well-intentioned um and people saying things like oh well you know she hates trans people i wish she would say that you know, I wish she wouldn't justify herself. And I mm. would like those people to read this and know that that is what this is, right? right? This is what this is saying. This is what propaganda looks like. That's why racists talk to you about white genocide and the Great Replacement. Right. You know, I, so I think that when you look at something like this where it's like, 
this is her trying to sound her most reasonable and is the most repulsive shit in the world because mm-hmm. you can't that that is that is what this is. I, I don't know. And and there's a lot in here that is very upsetting in that she talks about her own personal traumas. That's kind of the big reveal. I know that that is like the the Trojan horse news story here mm-hmm. um, where she recounts her um, sexual assault, or not recounts it, but brings it up and, and domestic abuse and having OCD as a kid and having her dad tell her that she wished she was a boy and and says like, I experienced violent misogyny. And if I had been a teen in 2020 with this big, this made up trans issue that she has concocted in her head, she might have transitioned. And it's just, it's made up, you know, it's like, that is a fantasy that is being scared of something that doesn't happen and also didn't happen to her. Right. The, and, and, and there's so many little nuggets in, in that, in the way that that's detailed that, that are like 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 reveal like what a self-evident like ploy this is to uh, t- like project trauma onto a whole class of people right i mean there's there's this bit here where she talks about how she didn't have a way she, she there because there was no way for her to express this these gender feelings or transition in the 80s she avoided this uh, so for one thing there's like this implied uh uh you know this this kind of uh, subtext to this that like you know and she's lucky for it right like oh thank goodness i didn't right like thank goodness i didn't transition do the bad mm-hmm. thing and transition but also too that's just not true did you like does jk rowling think that being trans was invented in 2004 yes like 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 what what do you mean there was no way for you to transition or or express this in the 80s like when do you think stonewall was like what <laughs> <laughs> or for that matter, couldn't now. She's still alive. Yeah. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you have, and, and, and like that, it, it, it dances around or maybe is just blind to the ways in which her experience, while I, you know, I, like, yeah, it, it like sounds incredibly traumatic. I'm, I don't want to minimize that. It is not, the, the experience that she is projecting onto trans people is not, the experience of being trans she can rattle off every horrible misogynistic thing she's ever experienced that is still different from sitting around thinking i'm a girl or i'm a boy right completely different experience like and also like not mutually exclusive like you can this this idea that she expresses about how like you know oh i felt bad because i didn't you know i didn't like pink frilly stuff and my dad said i acted like a boy and whatnot like that is that is still shitty this idea that like essentialism is poisonous to to women is completely true (laughs) but she is also now instead of realizing like how that is uh, dangerous to all women, she has internalized it and is now herself an essentialist. So how did that happen? It's uh, it's 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 easy to get in the weeds here because she's you know she brings up so many uh, uh, like little pieces of of you know what the, what things were like in the eighties and what my experience was like and 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 at the end of the day she can these are valid 
feelings to have and validly, you know, the, the, it is valid to feel like I grew up in a very misogynistic culture. True, I'm sure. But to then turn around and say, and that is why I'm scared of trans people is I my sympathy ends there. Right. It is it is no different to me than when Liam Neeson tried to explain like how logical his racism was once upon a time, right? It's like your traumatic experience will never justify bigotry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, I don't. I'm, I'm a very private person. I don't, I don't like to get too personal, but I just really, there is something so disgusting to me reading experiences that she's had with misogyny that I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. And then to watch her turn that into a weapon against the most vulnerable group of women is, it just, oh, it just gets under my skin. It makes me so angry. It's, uh, I mean, disgusting is like really the only word for it, right? Like Mm -hmm. it is evil. And, and I think that like, it's uh it's it's crazy to to the idea that that is then licensed to delegitimize the humanity of a of a class of people uh a, a, a group of people is um i i there's a certain hubris to it i guess in the way that she wrote this and and clearly expects people to be like oh damn i was pro trans before but now after reading jk rowling's trauma and realizing that somehow it has to apply to all women and and now i now i like now i understand and not only understand but believe jk rowling that trans people are evil and are just pretending to get into the bathroom so they can assault people is deeply pathetic yeah and it's very upsetting that she put this in front of a a lot of people. I I mean, it is very poorly written, which I guess is a saving grace. The other thing that I try to remember is that there, it's actually not that many people. Um, I, I mean, it is. 14 million is a lot of people. Those aren't all active accounts. It really didn't even get that much engagement um, in the scheme of something that is going to get huge engagement. But it did make the news. It is, it is put in, in front of uh, not an insignificant number of people. Uh, it's, it's just... It's just pretty awful. Um, I I think that in the terms of... I I do want to bring up one point in it because this is the funniest to me. And Mm -hmm. it's not funny. Like, don't hear that wrong. It's definitely not funny, but there there is a A part in it. A hollow laugh. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. Um, There's a part where she brings up um, the money. Like, it's it's this part where she wants to talk about how materially invested she is in this. It's like a justification about why she cares and I think it's the most like disjointed nonsense of the whole thing because mm-hmm. a lot because a lot of the stuff in it is it's practiced because it is well tread propaganda which mostly consists of unsighted lies about statistics debunked mm-hmm. studies that were like created by conservative interest groups to begin with and mm-hmm. have since I mean have do not have legitimacy. Um, but, but in the part where she has to try to come up with a reason why she cares about this outside of her own, like, personal trauma or, like, relationship with womanhood, 
Um, she says, one, she's writing a detective story so the girl character would be interested in this, so it's just research for her book, <laughs> which is just, like, fucking hilarious. And, and, and frankly, that point makes zero sense and gets immediately dropped because she can't justify it. Because, again, it's complete nonsense. And then she talks about how she gives a lot of money to MS research and that, uh, like, MS has different symptoms in men versus women, according according to what she writes, which, um, as far as I can tell, yes, MS does, like, manifest in different ways across different people and on and on. But there's this point that she tries to make that, like, trans women getting MS treatment will, like, muddy the waters of MS research. So stupid. Which just, no, like, that's not how any of this works. Nothing about, like, legal protections then change the way doctors are doing research. And, like, two, to think that because trans people are getting just the most medical consideration and humane treatment that it would like screw up the data is so insane. It's so good. Like it is, I mean, like it is like, this is such a common refrain for ter stuff, right? I mean, this one is so funny just because this seems to be her most original like thought that she had tried to have herself that hadn't already been processed 1 million times by the propaganda machine that it is like, incoherent you know like it just gets immediately dropped it is in the theme of the rest of it just a complete fantasy something that isn't happening right like yes it is true that women's medicine is worse than cis men's medicine yes you know what's worse than both trans people being treated by the doctor (laughs) like the research abuses by doctors like inhumane treatment like that is not it's just like flip flopped, and it is solely a creation in her own head. Yeah, I that mean, she even, can't follow through with anything because it's completely made up. Even by her own, like in her own example, the trans patient is potentially getting worse treatment. Which, like, yeah, yes, that is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And for her to go like, like, oh damn, oh, it would suck if that would happen. That is happening, Joe. Like. Because of the way that the medical system is set up, that is what is happening because we do divide things on very strict sexual dimorphism terms. That is the problem. You are correct. That doesn't really reflect reality or individuals. Hey, guess what? It's also like white supremacist oftentimes. Whoopsie. Yeah. So anyway, that was the one point I wanted to bring up only because that was other than her personal story essay elements of this seemed to be the most her Unique original thought, her. and it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, like like as soon as she like as soon as she steps outside of the like the like canon, I suppose of like turf talking points, she just like starts bumping into walls like a like a bumper car. Just like uh, the MS research is is, is going to get fucked up. I'm I'm writing I'm writing a story about a young detective who I guess also obsessively stays up at night bullying trans people. I, She's also in the nasty group chat that I'm in. <laughs> I like to imagine that the, that the young, sexy, cis uh, uh, detective in my story 
is also transphobic and hangs out with me. In fact, she's the lesbian who uh, who mess who called me on the phone and said, "Fucking yes." So where do we go from here? Well, that's a very good question because a lot of places are asking this now. Who who keeps working with J.K. Rowling? I I, I think now is the time to take the pin out of what the uh, the Eddie Redmayne statement because I think that this is maybe the most interesting one so far. Mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne, you know, he 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 wrote a uh, penned a statement that said, you know, I've worked with J.K. Rowling, and I just want to make it clear. I do not agree with her, blah, blah, blah. Like, like you know, uh, more or less along the same lines as Daniel Radcliffe's statement. It was pretty good. Um, the thing that is interesting about that, though, is that he is playing an interesting and potentially dangerous game here. Because if he ends up still sticking around for the rest of the Fantastic Beast series, he will look like history's biggest coward. But the other thing that a lot of people have have noted and is now kind of a talking point that's in the air, not just like from nerds like us, but like Screen Rant mm-hmm. and Variety, yeah. is is WB just going to cut ties with J.K. Rowling and cancel Fantastic Beasts? Yeah, I've been kicking this one around in my head a little bit. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is not the big story because who cares? Um, but also. Fantastic Beasts 3 and also to some extent Fantastic Beasts 2 have been so cursed this yeah. whole time. And I do not for a second that I think that WB or really honestly any of the celebs are going to do like quit out of like the kindness of their hearts. Right, yeah. So here is the scenario that I think makes Fantastic Beasts 3 go away. And it's that if WB was already on the fence about it because Crimes of Grindelwald didn't do very well, and the fact that their, like, resolute, their, like, compromise was like, okay, well, you have to have a script writer. Also, the movie's delayed. Uh Uh-oh, also COVID delayed the movie Mm -hmm. indefinitely. Mm -hmm. If they were on the fence even a little bit, that this could just push them over the fence, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it could get canceled. It's it's it like it would be unprecedented, right? Like the idea that the um you know the major blockbuster Harry Potter movie would get canned. But also we are in incredibly unprecedented times right now. As such, not a single reel of film has been shot on this thing yet. Yeah, that's a two-time delay. Right, it's been delayed twice. They 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 are scheduled to start filming finally in end of July, I believe was the last update. But like, if ever there has been a time to make an unprecedented or an opportunity, I, I would say, an opp- if ever there had been an opportunity to make an unprecedented decision and cancel a blockbuster Harry Potter series halfway through, it would be now in this situation like like not only like not not just in terms of like it is the right thing to do to cut ties with jk rowling because of course no corporation is going to do that kind of thing for the right reason but like if you just look at all of the ways that everything else is lined up here like you say like we've got it was already controversial because of the johnny depp stuff We've got COVID making it so they haven't actually started filming any of it yet. We have Ezra Miller choke slamming a woman in Iceland on film. Which only seems to have been resurrected in the news because of this, right? Because all of a sudden people are talking about Fantastic Beasts being doomed and that's getting dredged back up. Yeah. 
I don't think it would have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, and, and, and also you have the, the leading man saying, I disagree with J.K. Rowling on this issue that is, I mean, like, here's the thing. I, there, there are so many possibilities here. There is the more likely one, right? Which is that Eddie is a celeb. His convictions probably aren't that strong. He probably thinks he can just say, oh, I disagree. And then he will politely disagree with the creator and keep acting. But here's the thing. J.K. Rowling, this is not, like, this is her pet thing now, right? Like, I don't think, I don't know if J.K. Rowling can politely disagree with any of the people working with her, right? Like, I I, I don't I don't know if this, it, it just, would this mean that she would want him off the project? Does this mean that, he, you know, it, are his convictions strong enough that he would walk from the project? It's, it is an interesting standoff that they have started here that i'm very curious to see resolve yeah and i think at the end of the day fantastic beast hasn't been that popular so it's hard <laughs> to imagine any of these people wanting to stake their reputation on it y- yeah that that is the other thing it's not like these are not as culturally relevant or as beloved as the, the as the original harry potter movies right like th- this is a th- this is a fairly like mid-level fairly maligned series at this point um it's uh yeah the confluence of stuff happening here really makes it seem like we we could see something unprecedented here i do love that the screen rant article ends with the line uh meanwhile warner Warner bros hasn't commented on the issue and it's unknown if fantastic beast will still happen and if it does if rolling will be continued uh, will continue to be involved in the series as she wrote the previous two films with Harry Potter being a very important part in the lives of many fans are choosing to separate the author from her work, which will allow the series to continue living. But the same can't be said about fantastic beasts, which hasn't been very popular to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we got three. I, cause obviously we can't see the contracts. We can't yeah. see how deep they are in this. We can't see the investment yeah. that they've made. So there is a chance that they just can't or have, or decide that they are too in to pull out at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see one after this, if it doesn't do well. Yeah, that's like the middle path that's very likely, I think, is that we get three just because contracts are, I mean, scheduling and contracts are already in place right yeah there's some there's some graphic art of the logo so (laughs) yes uh, a few bits and pieces of like marketing elements have like slipped out there so so that's that's a distinct possibility but also like i just the fact that they haven't like like that that is a possibility that i think i would be leaning towards more if they had been filming already right it's just that is the big part of this that that makes it so much more interesting to me is that like just because of the other circumstances in the world right now the filming has not begun there is not a single piece of footage of this film yet and like sunk cost fallacy and all that but maybe this is maybe that like steers them to say like you know what we're just not gonna deal with this at all which would be very interesting um but but i guess like kudos question mark to to uh eddie redmayne here for perhaps unwittingly but setting up kind of a crazy 
uh, uh, standoff here between WB and, and JK Rowling and himself, right? Because it's like, no one gets out of this looking good now. Uh, and who who is it? Who is it that that takes the fall here? And does and does he realize that he is potentially setting himself up to, for for a fall here? Like I I don't know. Like I'm 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 very taken by by this situation. Like because God knows I would sure love to not have to watch the next Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> yeah, that would be excellent. <laughs> what else does rough. WB have going on? Like what what's what what's their what are their heavy hitters? The Joker movie. They've got the DC stuff. That's 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 like their big. Does that hit very heavy? That seems like a yeah. I mean, I think it's it sounds like it's been hitting better. People like Aquaman. People like people like the Joker movie. There's that Robert Pat Robert Pattinson Batman movie coming that they're doing. So it seems like it seems like maybe they've got some stuff that's like steadily getting better. Um, and and more to the point, making more money. Like Joker is like the the highest grossing R rated movie ever. I think so. Oh, they've got really? Some, they've got some feathers in their cap. They could weather and and the other thing too is right like canceling Fantastic Beasts. I mean, like who knows? Maybe maybe what they do is they have to like decide whether they just don't want Harry Potter anymore at all, which would be a huge. I mean, like that would mean because I'm I'm pretty sure they're tied up in the Universal Studios deal as well, the the theme park. I think there's some weird contract between. I'm I'm not clear how all that stuff shakes out, but the um. The other possibility is it's like you could either divest yourself from JK Rowling entirely and just say we are not dealing with new Harry Potter content anymore. Or I'm I'm very curious how the ownership of this franchise is set up if there's a way to like divest in a way sort of like the Hobbit movie where like the Hobbit movies were allowed to reference everything that was in the original deal for the Lord of the Rings films, but they couldn't reference other writing by J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, really? That's yeah, really funny. Very, there's this very weird scene that, that, that I think was meant to be a joke about this, but yeah, in, in the first Hobbit movie, there's this scene where Gandalf is like rattling off the other wizards in the series, and he's like, oh yeah, there's Saruman the White, and there's Radagast the brown because he appeared in the first hobbit movie and then he's like i think there was a blue one too but like i can't remember his name and it's like they're not <laughs> allowed to talk about the other characters that didn't appear in, in in already established movie canon so i wonder if there's a way for them to be like okay here we have the like warner wizarding world <laughs> without jk rowling and they just bring other writers on uh to like make entirely new stories with this established framework which would be i think probably better than fantastic beasts right like can't be much worse right i mean that's the thing is a running theme amongst people who are harry potter fans i think is that fantastic beasts would probably be better off without jk rowling anyway which is a very funny thing to say like oh like i love harry potter wish the author would stop writing it though yeah, I mean, I think that for Harry Potter fans, and, and when I talk about Harry Potter fans, I, of course, mean people that are actively talking about Harry Potter, not yeah. just kind of the casuals, I suppose. Yeah. It does seem like the consensus is that she's kind of a George Lucas type figure. Yes. 
yeah like like she you know she we we love the first thing she did but it's been st- steadily getting worse from there and, and this is like entirely divested from her political beliefs too i mean this is people going like i hate that she put her name on cursed child because it sucks and i hate that she keeps tweeting about wizards pooping and retconning yeah. stuff right um so that that is another interesting element like it, there's there's an element to this that is very funny that i f- think is worth mentioning which is that part of what makes the situation so strange to watch is i think as horrible as all of this is and as nightmarish as her manifesto is and her as shitty as her behavior is there i'm taking a like certain smug satisfaction in the way that it sure seems like she overestimated how many allies she has in this fight and i think that 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 that, that plays into this is that like even people who count themselves as like diehard harry potter fans seem to disregard her word on the world she created now right like Mm -hmm. she just does not have as big of a built-in army who hangs onto her every word than that as she thinks she does perhaps yeah i think she's too into the kool-aid to know how it sounds when she says the stuff that she says Um, yeah and i mean i i one to bring up would be Emma Watson's response. Um, mm-hmm. Just as far as like scale of celebrity, I kind of had a moment and, and I know how crazy this sounds. Cause I, cause Twitter engagement isn't, doesn't really mean it's much. Yeah. It's not, it's not real. Um, but it, there is a kind of despairing moment where you're like, JK Rowling is, is tweeting this out to 14 million people. That's so many people. Um, and, and, and obviously she, she disabled replies, so you can't she, she can't get ratioed. But she did get ratioed, right? Like she the got new ratio, tweet, like the, the, the new ratio, tweet. the quote tweet. Um, but um, Emma Watson tweeted her response, um, which I thought was pr- pretty okay. Yeah, it was um, all right. It was whatever. Um, I think that it means more to other people who care what Emma Watson thinks, you know. <laughs> right. yes. um, but it had astronomically more reach than jk rowling's post mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um she has way more followers than jk rowling i don't know why i don't know what emma watson does these days she's in beauty and the beast she was in little women but um I, i'm i'm glad she said something you know yeah yeah i like i said I, I i take just a little bit of of solace and pleasure in the fact that like it, it seems like for as as horrible and and damaging as her behavior has been it seems like it might blow up in her face bigger than anyone else's. Um, if if WB does anything, if if Fantastic Beasts and and the other thing you mentioned George Lucas, there's the other possibility is that I've been thinking about, which is like, what if you know, what if like instead of like the 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 possibility I was talking about, which is like the weird like timeline franchise split thing, is I wonder how much it would cost i wonder what jk rowling's price is for just being bought out of harry potter the way george lucas was like she's rich but she's only a like she's a one billionaire right and wb has a lot more money than that to throw around and i wonder if there is any level where she would accept just 
just whole, just whole cloth being like like be, being rid of it, being done of this thing that she clearly has. No, I mean, she she clearly has no interest in continuing it outside of Fantastic Beasts, right? Which is more a political uh, political uh, vehicle for her political beliefs than a new Harry Potter story, right? Um, uh, it's it's like Harry Potter in the sense that it is set in that world, but it is much more her bizarre like World War Two history uh uh lesson i i suppose so i it's i wonder so dumb. it's very 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 slim chance i mean the star wars thing on its own was already like a once in a lifetime crazy thing happening but i do wonder if like wb just goes all in and says like all right this is harry potter to us is what disney or what star wars is to disney let us buy this thing and you can be off on your merry way and just tweet from your fucking castle and we don't have to deal with you anymore. I wonder, I wonder if that's a possibility. I think that there's two parts of that. One is that I don't know if Harry Potter is actually that popular to make them invest so much money in it. But on the <laughs> other hand, I think a, a the potential that J.K. Rowling could take that deal is and a boon to all of us is that she is very thin skinned for criticism. She could just be done, right? Like that. Yeah. That's that's the real thing here is that she can't she can't take it. You know, when you are that level of of mega celeb, there's like a certain amount you're gonna get harsh criticism, right? And she just can't take it. No, she just threatens to sue people if they ever get on her her nerves. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I, it, it, it is a, it is an, inter- there, there's an unstoppable force, what is a movable object thing here, where it's like, can her pride in being the author of Harry Potter be overridden by her inability to take criticism, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, which wins out in that, in that hypothetical because it's like she's clearly very proud of Harry Potter. She loves to talk about it all the time and how, you know, how she wrote it and how she came up with it. More so seems to be interested in that than like working on it anymore. So I'm very curious to 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 know if like 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 we we are re- really truly spitballing just like insane ideas here, but like I there's got to be someone in a WB board or I guess a Zoom call at this point. A WB Zoom call going like, could we buy this? Do we want it? (laughs) Do we want this? Yeah, I'm very curious. Because it's weird, right? Because people do like Harry Potter. It's still huge. But also it feels like perhaps the the love of Harry Potter that everyone has is very ambient, if that makes sense. Right? Like the Fantastic Beast movies do not not, uh, rake in the big bucks. Uh, people love Harry Potter. People love to talk about, I'm a Hufflepuff. I love Hedwig. Uh, I love to make memes of her, of Hermione saying Guardian Leviosa, but like, like people aren't putting their money in it anymore as much perhaps. Yeah. It definitely feels like Harry Potter is getting more and more in the rear view mirror. And, and also like it, feels like J.K. Rowling outside of her her ideologies is like still kind of chasing that high. Like if that's how I felt when she posted that, like, oh, here are the locations that inspired mm-hmm. Harry Potter. And it's like, lady, why can't you write anything anymore that anyone likes? <laughs> oh, I'd be very curious to know how the the Galbraith books do. 
because I, I I think that they get like pretty okay reviews for like airport paperback stuff, but I don't know. You know, they got like a a mid budget TV show. They're certainly not like a cultural institution, right? Like, like, uh, not not that everything an author needs make, makes needs to be, but like in, in terms of just like J.K. Rowling's power as a figure and a, a creative name to like have on your masthead at wb right like it's just it's probably not that it's probably not worth it anymore yeah i mean it's it's there's nothing wrong with you know writing something that that gets huge and then never like reaching that high again but it does become a problem when you tarnish your legacy by becoming a huge evil <laughs> bigot <laughs> yeah 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 I'm fascinated by that by by the Fantastic Beast situation and 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 what what will happen with with the celebs uh, speaking out and like what what impact that will have on her because that's the other thing too is that like I generally don't care like what the celebs have to say right but what makes this interesting is that I know that J.K. Rowling cares right yeah. Uh, I mean, she's quickly going to find herself with no friends, you know? And I don't mean friends as in actual friends. I mean allies in high places. Right, exactly. She, like, like Daniel Radcliffe has been trotted out so often as, like, look, here's Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's friend, right? Like, presumably he doesn't do that anymore. I would hope not. Um, Emma Watson, again, like a pretty major figure who she is like you know there's something interesting about the way she wrote slughorn collecting people (laughs) and the way that she behaves with her like famous friends right because that that's sure what her behavior comes off as honestly i mean like like you look at this pottermore thing where she's just like trotting out all these famous people to read you bits and pieces of the first harry potter book um the 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 idea that that she is I think that the thing that will matter most to her is this idea that that she is uh, uh, going to be abandoned by her more famous friends. Um, like she's talked a lot before about uh, like how she always wanted to work with Johnny Depp on something, <laughs> even even before Fantastic Beasts. She she just loved Johnny Depp so much. She wanted to do something with Johnny Depp, and she got Johnny Depp. And so I, I feel like there's maybe a, an element to that of like her own hero worship might kind of bite her in the ass here. It's like if all the celebs that she loves and spends and counts among her friends turn on her, like, I don't know, like just another just another part of this that just uh, just feels like she might have bitten off more than she can chew here. Yeah, I I hate that this happened. Yes. I I hate that she posted this to everyone, but but wow, what a what a thing, huh? It certainly is a thing. I would just like to point out that this morning Forbes also posted uh JK Rowling's Fantastic Beasts series is in big trouble. Oof. So like this is a narrative that is being picked up and run with by like 
you know, not publications that I give a shit about, but like publications that like people making big money decisions care about, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know that I, I think that I sent you the first one that I saw, which was the Screen Rant, and I didn't think much of that because I'm like, Screen Rant is, they'll, <laughs> they'll post anything. No offense, Screen <laughs> Rant, but they'll say they will say whatever shit comes to mind immediately. Um, so it was yeah. it was less of a I think Screen Rant knows something, and more of a if this is a narrative that is going to get picked up, that's that could mean something. Yeah, I Variety and be- Forbes yeah. saying that this franchise is in trouble is probably a bigger deal. Oh, I'd love to not see more of those movies. Right? It's so films. tantalizing. But uh, but whatever happens with that stuff will be fascinating, I think. So yeah, any any closing thought? Do you have any closing thoughts on this? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I this is kind of off the cuff, but I um, do kind of want to contextualize this uh, in in a meta way for our podcast mm. because I think that there yeah. is a point where we have this thing that has happened, uh, and we can talk about the ramifications of that. But like, where where does criticism of Harry Potter the books fit into this? You know, um, yeah. Because I think that criticism is valuable, and I know we have a fun time here, and we also do real criticism, and it is, and it puts us in kind of an interesting place um, because it's one thing to read, you know, read and criticize H.P. Lovecraft, who is long dead, and also we can talk about in the context of his time in ways that. Um, like as a life that a person lived right yeah jk rowling is still alive and doing stuff so how do we talk about harry potter now yeah yeah i don't really have an answer um, it's just it it, is something to think about i mean it it uh it does it, it it does raise some questions i mean i think that i think that like what is advantageous for us is that like i think we have always been slightly skeptical of of uh you know and vocally on this show skeptical of one the idea that you can just separate jk rowling the person out from harry potter if you don't like her right mm-hmm. um like we, we have talked at length about how one the hatsune miku wrote x thing is is unhelpful um and and two the this idea that like and, and like this this is a more frustrating one because it's like the the common liberal talking point right the this idea that like I don't understand how J.K. Rowling can be like this when the books are so kind and politically aware. And it's like, well, you read these things recently? And I think that's a valuable thing that we're doing is going through and, and pointing out that like, hey, uh, actually, the, the the shittiness was kind of always at least somewhat here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the other part of it, I think is that um we've all we've always been a little skeptical of and and this is you know part and parcel with those two statements but it's like the the willingness to use death of the author not as a critical lens but as a barrier between uh the the actions of a person you don't like and the thing you do like mm-hmm. is something that we have always made fun of <laughs> <laughs> to like to, to to be blunt like we're we're constantly mocking that shit right yeah um, yeah because i mean death of the author is is interesting i like it as a critical lens but it is not it is not a shield you know it to is be a wielded lens. it is not the shield uh-huh 
to, yeah. to protect your feelings about a text, right? Yes. Um, and so I think that uh, for us, um, you know, for as for as much as I would love to be done with J.K. Rowling, and I can't wait to be done with J.K. Rowling in a way, um, I think that it is weirdly relevant and important for us to keep up with her shitty behavior because I think that it only enhances the criticism that we have been working on, which is that, you know, not only is this a cultural, culturally relevant text that has sort of, for whatever reason, post-release kind of escaped any, uh, you know, escaped much like uh, uh, mainstream critical backlash, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or critical reevaluation. Um, but that, like, it is a critically important and culturally relevant text to a shockingly huge amount of people like this is this is a cultural phenomenon that we are picking through the rubble of here um written by someone who is very much alive and is very much constantly talking about what her politics and her opinions are and i think that there is value in like 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 those are two lights that need to be held up to each other like like this illusion this idea that like oh harry potter itself is one separable from jk rowling the person who is still alive and talking about harry potter constantly uh and two is a valuable blueprint for your personal politics and personal opinions Mm -hmm. is ultimately just a lie that people are telling themselves that like the thing they like is politically sound. And, and like, for one thing, I, th- I, I like, I, I just think that that is, that is something that not just Harry Potter fans, but like everyone needs to get over. Right. Like, like you, the media you like doesn't, doesn't, and shouldn't like be your political, like calling card. Right. But, I think that it is uh, such a like that that is such a crystallized uh, opinion with Harry Potter fans, even the Harry Potter fans who are like being interviewed in articles about J.K. Rowling's behavior right now. You know, we you have like the the Leaky Cauldron people and the MuggleNet people being interviewed, and they're like, Harry Potter means so much to me, and that's why this is disappointing. And I can sympathize with that, but also. I think that there is still just this like uh, really hard shell of denial that needs to be busted through. It's like, no, like JK Rowling is not apart from Harry Potter and you need to realize that. Um, and, and that like everything that she says, everything that she does uh, uh, that like you that continues to use her platform as the author of Harry Potter, um, as a wedge for her to to you know to to talk about her politics or to retcon stuff, whatever it whatever it may be. That like, it, it at a certain point you can't ignore it, and I think it is irresponsible to ignore it. Um, and and the if you're if if someone's 
prime takeaway from someone's bad behavior, you know, someone someone who made something they like behaving badly, and their first response is, "But how does this reflect on me, the fan?" <laughs> right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. That I mean, is I, I think that... priority, and I think that it is valuable to just to to just keep on hammering away at that like misconception, just being like, "No, no, like you can like this, but you can't pretend." that she's gone because she's not. Yeah. And I think even in the, the meteoric rise of Harry Potter as a cultural phenomenon came um, inextricably tied to her like deification as a grand creator of this text. Right. And so to try to extract it is silly um, because it's all, it's all there in the, in the experience of like what happened and the history of Harry Potter. And I also, I know that like, there's a lot of discourse about fandom in general and the idea that like criticism is of fandom is like a, an expression of misogyny and all of that. But, but I, I really, I do think that this, um, this idea that criticism of a thing and the fandom of a thing are necessarily opposed and should never meet. That idea needs to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, um, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I rambled through, but there, I'm not sure if I, what I said answered your thought, original thought there about like where that leaves us with this stuff. But I, I do think that it like this for me, at least it hasn't, it hasn't like, outside of just like wanting wanting jk rowling to go away it it hasn't left me going like damn i wish i wasn't doing this it, it honestly it motivates me more right because it, it just it, the 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 stuff that she keeps saying is in a weird kind of twisted way like invaluable to us as critics because i mean like you know do do at anyone listening to this podcast do you think we sound crazy saying that Rita Skeeter was a uh, a transphobic character now like th this stuff reflects on her work uh and and there are th there are, there are things I've thought about and I'm wondered about you know us talking about and being like hmm, did did I go too far was I too conspiratorial am I am I reading too much into stuff now and like every time she says something fucking stupid I kind of realize like oh no, actually, I think that I think that you can draw a pretty direct line between a lot of the stuff that sucks in these books and a lot of the stuff that sucks about her now. Um, so I think it's valuable in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I, I don't even think that I wanted to float that as a question for you to answer more as just a mm. spitballing over looking over the course of the podcast, because I've kind of done the same thing, too. In a very self-centered way, this feels like such a culmination of an arc that we started here. <laughs> um, I, the thing that I, I have thought about, and mostly because now it certainly has aged very poorly, is I remember when we first had a news segment and it was like JK, it was JK Rowling's middle age moment where she favorited the tweet um yeah that was a transphobic tweet posted by a turf but in language that i floated the idea i said yes jk rowling is probably a turf that is probably what's happening here but i remember distinctly being like what if i'm wrong mm -hmm. what what if she is not educated 
She read the tweet, which I believe the, you know, it's been years now, but it was something like men are shouting over women at X event. And I don't like that. And I'm like, there is a world where she saw that and she is such a girl power feminist that she didn't think about it and was like, yes, I like that. Um, So to be in that point where I, where I remember thinking back and being like, was I too mean? Um, (laughs) And then even over the course of our criticism of the books, which is a series that is always going to mean something to me that I, you know, have read many times and I have an emotional attachment to and on and on. And I think about my criticisms and something that is an insecurity of mine where I'm like, was I too cinema sins? Was I picking too much? Is this too mean? Is this too cruel? Um, that is another thing that gets talked about a lot, right? Criticism as entertainment that is that becomes mean, becomes cinemasins, and makes your audience worse because you are trying hard to basically roast something for entertainment value and nothing else. And I'm like, is that what I'm doing? And I always right, like I, I'm always thinking about that fucking cinemasins Blade Runner thing where they're like, wait, the technology is futuristic, but it's all dirty and grimy. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think that's because like we are trying to be entertaining. We are trying. I mean, we have it, it, that is that is the thing. So I'm like, I always kind of think back, and I'm like, oh, am I that what I'm doing? And I do feel as much as I wish this hadn't happened, I do feel a little vindicated. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, I I feel good about what we're doing and what we have done here. Um, yeah. And another like another thing, and I I don't like to call people out by name very often, but I'm going to call it Hank Green today. Um, Hell yes. And this is not even, I don't even want this to be a roast. I don't want it to be too mean. But um, he is someone who made a career out of, at least in some part, liking Harry Potter and posted a tweet that was along the lines of like, I'm confused about this. How how could this be? How, How could this person who wrote these books that mean something to me and taught, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, like, and are about love and compassion. How could she be so hateful? And I think that that attitude, not as a call out, not trying to be mean to Hank, but it's like, that is why you can't take your fandom out of your criticism, you know? Yes. And those things can exist together and they necessarily have to. Yes. Anyway, that's my spiel. Fuck JK Rowling. Fuck JK Rowling. Yeah, actually, I have, I have a list of fucks to to hand out here. (laughs) Okay. Because there, because there was that, there was that like hashtag I support JKR thing that was going around. Yeah, and I just went and looked at like every blue check. Yeah, that that had this. So sure. First of all, fuck Graham Linen. Yeah, goes without saying, but he's a clown who can't even get the names of the characters right when he's kissing J.K. Rowling's ass. If everyone saw the fucking like Harry and Hermione and Ralph <laughs> thing, so fucking funny. Fuck that guy. Fuck Graham Linen. Fuck Alex Boyd. Scottish photographer. He's a he has a blue check mark, but he has less than nine thousand followers, and he's following like five thousand people. So he's probably just trying to kiss J.K. Rowling's ass. So fuck that guy. Fuck Frances Barber, actress. I didn't care enough to look up what she was in. I think she was in Doctor Who or something. But fuck you. Fuck Cecilia Joyce, former cricket player for Ireland. Cricket is a fake sport, and you're a loser. So fuck you. Fuck the Safe Schools Alliance, which is apparently an ex-teacher who has some concerns about trans activism and thanks uh, trans uh, trans activism <laughs> trans activism 
and uh, and and said to, you know thanks to JK for being an ally. So fuck the Safe Schools Alliance and shame on you for throwing trans kids under the bus. Fuck Chuck Wendig. I actually don't know whether he supports JK Rowling or not because he has me blocked because I uh, I told him to eat shit about the Internet Archive lawsuit that he's he mm, did. Oh yeah. This is just unrelated. Also, he can eat my fucking ass. for that too. <laughs> All right, we will take a quick break, and then we will be back with a surprisingly good chapter. Just kidding, it fucking sucks. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um... A little unorthodox taking a break there but we did spend an hour and 20 minutes talking about jk rowling there um and i've got my little demon grin on today because mm. it was sure going to be awkward if we had to discuss all of that news and then also like praise a good chapter of harry potter but that did not happen this week <laughs> no. would you like to walk us through your summary before we get into it yeah, I guess so. I didn't do a very good job. I was kind of pissed off yesterday. Jimmy Rowling didn't do a very good job with this chapter. <laughs> I was pretty mad. And I was like, you know, going through, like, reading the reading the Twitter or reading the news on and on. And I got to about seven. And I was like, oh, I guess I have to read this stupid chapter. <laughs> so I was not in a very charitable mood. <laughs> you know? I, I read it before the manifesto happened. And oh. I was... So I, I got I got a like double helping of Joe uh, over the weekend. Wow. Yeah. So so I did not. I was mad when I read it. I was mad when I made my notes. So I did kind of a shitty job because I didn't give a shit. Uh, it's it's fucking roast time. Um, I'll take us through it. This one's called Fallen Warrior. Um, last week we got a little fake out because Hagrid fell real hard from a broom. Um, Harry's trying to get Hagrid to get up, but it's not working. But a man comes out of a house that they're at now, um, and ushers Harry inside and says that Hagrid is fine, actually. Um, it's Ted Tonks, who's Tonks's dad. Harry talks to him a little bit, says he doesn't know what happened to, to everyone else. Um, they were attacked by Death Eaters. He feels kind of bad that the Tonks's are going to be really stressed out about their daughter maybe dying. Um, Hagrid's fine. He's being tended to by um, the the Tonks husband. Um, and the wife lady comes in and Harry's like, oh shit! Um, because he thinks that it's Bellatrix Lestrange because it's Andromeda Tonks, who's Bellatrix's sister, but he sees that she's nice looking, so uh, he stops worrying. Hagrid and Harry use a port key to go to the Weasleys. They're the first to arrive. They thought they would be the last, but they were the first. Um, and what follows is basically them sitting around waiting for everyone else to arrive very anxiously because they all missed their port keys. Um, slowly they do. Um, when Lupin arrives, he asks Harry a question to prove his identity and and kind of ta- he's he's real worried because he's like someone. Someone gave us away. Voldemort knew we were going to be moving Harry tonight. How'd they find out? How did this date? get to them um george lost an ear and is bleeding all over um harry and lupin get into a little argument about how harry was recognized um because uh harry used expelliarmus in a life or death situation so stan shunpike was like oh yeah this must be harry um and and lupin is like now is not the time to disarm now is the time to kill 
Um, and Harry's like, that sounds like something Voldemort would say. Um, also, we found out that there's a big breakout at Azkaban that's being hushed up by the government because a bunch of the Death Eaters that were there should have been in prison. Everyone has finally arrived, one by one, except Moody, who died. Um, Bill and Fleur saw it. Everyone is sad. They wonder who compromised their plan. Harry says they all have to trust each other. Otherwise, they're just as bad as Voldemort. Um, Mundungus probably just ran away. Um, he didn't arrive because Moody died. Um, Harry tries to leave and is like, I have to get out of here. I'm getting everyone killed. Now Moody's dead. Also, I remembered my head, my headwig died and I'm sad. Um, but that he can't leave. There's a wedding happening and they'd worked so hard to get him to the burrow. Um, and Voldemort surely can't find him there because there are several places he could be. Um, Harry also tells the story about how his wand acted of its own volition and shoots some gold sparks he's never seen before. Um, and then he has a vision of Voldemort torturing Ollivander, saying, You told me a different wand would work, and it didn't work! I hate you! Um, and Hermione says, Harry, don't let Voldemort in your head, Dumbledore told you not to. <laughs> See what a shitty job I did? I'm, like, so fucking pissed. I mean, that is basically what happened. I, that's how it went down i don't i don't know if there's really much a much better way to outline this chapter it really is just like a continuation of the problems of last chapter where everything exciting is happening somewhere <laughs> else and the promise of the seven person car chase is squandered and and just forgotten immediately yeah I have a um like a cherry vanilla diet soda, but it wasn't cold, so I put it in a glass with ice cubes, and now it's like really loud. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's fine. I uh, I I cracked open a cold one on the common room, so it's only fair that you should have an audible drink as well. I think. That's right. Do you have the problem with diet sodas, where I, I maybe I'm dumb, but I can never like pour a diet coke or anything or a coke zero into a glass with ice without it like fizzing over and and getting rid of all the carbonation and then it's just like a flat cold diet coke Have you ever had this problem maybe but i don't think i notice i do the thing that um you're supposed to do with beer where you pour it down the side of the yeah, glass that's what I to try release to do. carbonation you yeah. know so i guess that's making it go flat hmm. a little bit yeah if anyone can tell me how to pour a diet soda without getting rid of the carbonation into an ice glass please let me know i uh I, I'm never able to do it, and so I just I make sure to put the can in the fridge because otherwise I'm never gonna have a cold one. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just physics, right? Like you can't keep the air from not bubbling. Yeah, on. but like if you pour a regular, like a non-diet soda into a glass with ice, I don't have this problem. See, this is why I don't have any input because I don't think I've drank a non-diet soda in like ten yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, like it's pretty rare, right? But like, I, it's something I've yeah. noticed that like, oh, I can pour a normal Coke into this, but if I do a diet Coke into over ice. It's a fucking nightmare, and I have to. It either takes me ten minutes to pour, or the foam just goes everywhere, and then it's not carbonated anymore, and it tastes bad. I think this conversation is so much more interesting than talking about Harry Potter in this yeah, moment. I'm, this chapter is so boring. <laughs> so, Harry, first of all, I love this this like action movie scene of Harry waking up and going like Hagrid Hagrid talk to me Hagrid uh my I need to radio my unit ah we're surrounded like just she she clearly watched Saving Private Ryan or something right before this um but um this like bizarre 
like rapid fire introduction of Ted and Andromeda is so funny to me because these are characters that I think not only have you know we we've we've heard the vaguest vague allusions to in insofar that we know that Tonks has parents, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, we know that someone else left the Black family tree at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it, like I was honestly like interested in this when I first read it because I was like, oh shit, I love I love meeting new characters, but like their appearance here is beyond perfunctory. Like they they appear. And they say, "Don't worry, I fixed your ri- I, I fixed your ribs and your 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 oof owies, and I also fixed mm-hmm. Hagrid. So see you later." <laughs> like, why? I like I I know I guess that the plan of of them all meeting at different safe houses and then using a port key to get to the burrow it means that we we had to introduce someone here, but it is we get no characterization of them whatsoever. Like it, it's it's it, like it, it's a small window, but I feel like you could use that window to do something more characterful than say like, "Hello, I'm Tonks's dad." Hello, I'm Tonks's mom. Okay, bye. Like really, really rushed feeling here. Yeah, I guess the only point is to push this like like you said like this soldier storyline, which is like the parents that are at home while their <laughs> kid is out at war. <laughs> Which I guess is abstractly sad, right? Like Harry being like, uh, it's all it's all because of me that Tonks had to go on this rescue mission and to transfer me with this crazy plan and now I'm here with her parents and they don't know if she's alive. Yeah. Um so I guess that's the purpose that it serves. I was kind of expecting a little bit more because I forgot that we meet Andromeda at all. So I kept seeing posts about her because she's always the example of like the good Slytherin. Mm. So when I saw her name pop up, I'm like, oh, does she do something? No. <laughs> she walks in. She has and, like, nice eyes. I think she, like, raises an eyebrow at Harry. Is yeah. Is, like, the mo- Does she say anything? I don't think, I don't think she says anything. Maybe. Maybe she says hello. hello. It's, I'm not sure. Hello, I'm, I'm Andromeda. <laughs> I'm the nice Hello, I'm, I'm Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah. The one nugget from this sequence that, like, there are a lot of little passages in this chapter that, like, dealt physical damage to my brain while reading but this right. one here now harry understood why voldemort had vanished it had been at the point where the motorbike crossed the barrier of the order's charms he only hoped they would continue to work he imagined voldemort a hundred yards above them as they spoke looking for a way to penetrate what harry visualized as a giant transparent bubble um so you know how voldemort's flying as we are told many times in this oh, yeah. chapter do you picture it like a um like a bug bouncing off yes. of a window? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, just a hundred percent, just like donk, donk, donk. But <laughs> there's a very funny through line for me here in that one of my biggest criticisms of the later films is how mm-hmm. unimaginative the visualizations of magic are. Right, like they're just it's the bubble like shield, laser guns, and bubble shields. Right. But I did mm-hmm. not realize that actually the idea of the, the visualization of the bubble shield is just from this. Like, it's in the damn Yeah, book. but it's also, like, the point of Harry having no idea, and so that's just what he pictures, yeah. which makes it, like, double funny that the movies couldn't come up with <laughs> anything more creative than Harry's, like, uncreative imagining. Right, yeah, like, I guess there's an excuse here where Harry, who's not very good at wizard school and is also new to the world with just a picture like the most basic idea like oh it's a bubble right but like 
that then just extrapolating that view into the films is very very funny i didn't mention it in my summary because i didn't do a very good job but this is the first scene where harry's like hedwig he's dead and then Hagrid says like it's okay she had a good life and then he fully forgets again Uh, but that does pop up here he really does not seem all that torn up about Hedwig, considering how he reacted when she died. Maybe that's just his soldier training kicking in. He's like, oh, he's scared in the moment, but ugh, pushing it down. Pushing it pushing it down. Not, not sad about my bird. It's just so weird that, I mean, it's weird that this chapter is kind of relying on the emotional moment being that Moody died, and but it keeps having to have this refrain of Hedwig dying as the thing that like has way more emotional weight, but Harry has to just like keep remembering getting upset about and then forgetting for the emotional moment that we don't care about. (laughs) I just, I just can't get over Harry mistaking Andromeda for Bellatrix so hard that he like tries to shoot her with his gun. But then he notices she has nice eyes. Like, so so it, the, the whole scene is weird because she walks in and Harry reacts by reaching his hand into his pocket, like to, to presumably to get his get his gun out and blast her. <laughs> and then Ted, who has his wand, like taps it on his shoulder and is like, your wand's here, son. It fell right beside. I don't know why I'm doing that voice for Ted Tonks, but. Bill <laughs> right beside you. I picked it up, and that's my wife you're shouting at. And I love the idea. Like, if we extrapolate this idea that, like, okay, wands are guns now in Harry Potter. Yeah. This idea that, like, Ted Tonks is amused enough at Harry going for his gun when he sees his wife, <laughs> and then he's like taunting him with it is so funny. Like, oh, you want to shoot my wife? Here's here's your gun. Like. <laughs> I warn you though, that's my wife, not Bellatrix. Just, <laughs> just fucking stupid. But just I, I I guess I guess maybe they're identical twins. I guess they're identical twins except for the fact that Andromeda looks nicer nebulously. Yeah. But but the just the that's idea right. that somebody who sort of looks like 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 is Harry just like seeing people with long black hair and going like, oh shit, it's fucking on site for you, lady. Like, kind of. That's the soldier training. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Um, I, uh, I, I, I don't blame her for. Uh, yeah. So here she, she, uh, she looks a little haughty at uh, at Harry's exclamation. I don't think she says anything in this. Really? I'm trying. To... Oh, okay. No, okay. She does. She says, "What happened to our daughter?" She asks. Okay. She, she does ask something. But she's very, she's very much not a character in this scene, which is too bad. Very good scene. Very interesting. Very good scene. They made it to the safe house. They made it to the safe house. Hagrid's fine. Why is why is Ted's nickname for his wife Dromeda? I think that it's really hard to ha- like to have char- a character named Andromeda Tonks and another character named Nymphadora Tonks, and then to have both characters that are not main characters that we don't really see very often and then to call each like call each other like nicknames because Andromeda or Ted calls Nymphadora Tonks Dora, Dora and then calls Andromeda Tonks Dromeda 
Andromeda. It's very confusing. Why not just... Because I don't know any of these just people. Just call her Andy if you're going to use a nickname. Like, it's right there. That's cute. Yeah, Andy. That's, that's a cute nickname. Um... But yeah, like it, it, like I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at stuff to talk about in this scene. But that's because there is really, it, it, it is such a, this is such a transitory scene. Like Harry wakes up, he finds out that Hagrid's alive. He's sad that the Hedwig's dead. He nearly shoots this guy's wife, and then they take a porky. Like there is very little meat on this bone. Yeah. So let's go to the burrow. Oh no! No one else is at the. Oh burrow. fuck! Oh shit! Nobody else made it back. They're up there having an action sequence. <laughs> they're having they're they're just out of frame having a cool action sequence too. <laughs> um yeah, it's uh this is like I, I talked about this last chapter with uh you know, like like making the comparison to like a Fast and Furious movie or whatever, and just saying like it's so bizarre to set up this very high concept premise and then just focus on one character's normal chase sequence, right? It mm-hmm. is doubly weird to not only do that in the first place, but to linger on it enough that you then have an entire chapter of people returning from their own chase sequences that happened off screen and then trying to make us care about the stakes of those, even though the people are back and the chase is over and we know they're okay is bold. I suppose that's certainly one way to tell a story, but it's, it's, it's very confusing here. I have a complaint. Mm. My complaint is that I feel she wrote herself into a corner where there's a potion that can make you appear exactly like someone else. And I think that the, dorkiest possible way to make it feel like there's an air of paranoia is to have characters ask questions of each other to prove they are who they say they are (laughs) it's a very boring way to do that i i will say though i there was a point this was like the high point of the chapter for me almost because when the when the possibility that there was like a double polyjuice taker in this scene Uh i was like oh that's actually a really fascinating idea like Mm -hmm. so we have we have the return of the polyjuice potion and like we talked about how weird and kind of like themeless that was last week right but there was like a few pages here where i was like oh maybe i jumped the gun on that criticism maybe there is something very cool here because like i love the idea of harry like implicitly trusting this the real moody and everyone taking this polyjuice potion but not like like revealing the, this new layer to polyjuice potion that like oh maybe someone doubled up on it right like maybe someone is taking it twice and like that's such a creepy mm-hmm. concept right like 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 that's that, you know there's nowhere in the rule book so far that says you can't take polyjuice twice right yeah why not? um and so i was like oh that's like super fascinating like maybe 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 the polyjuice coming back isn't so bad after all and then it immediately gets shot down in multiple ways number one being uh uh haggard going like you know how come you didn't check if i was real and and lupin going like oh well here's some lore about how polyjuice potion doesn't work on half giants or whatever uh that makes me so angry 
because uh, I'm sorry to take an aside. No, it's fine. I know that that's not the point, but it makes me so mad that the the whole thing in the be like the first time that Polyjuice Potion appears is it's like, ha, you can't take this to turn into a cat. The idea that that same logic is that this only works on humans, 100% human people in a world where it's about like discrimination against other beings yeah. as a racism <laughs> allegory is so bad. It's really bad. I'm sorry, our cool wizard magic only works on humans. Sorry, Hagrid. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Oops. Really? Whoopsie. And why? And also why? Because that line is just extraneous. It doesn't matter. This could be a part where Lupin's like, oh yeah, and then asks him a question. Yeah. That, that, Why? That's the Why not? Why is he immune yeah, to that it? That is the part that I don't understand. What, what is the purpose of throwing in not only something that just like like throws this really weird essentialist wrench into the story, right? But this like, also it just removes an entire layer of suspense out of the scene. Yeah, honestly, in in rewrite mode in this world where there could be um, like a polyjuice double cross doubling up, then this should be the uh, Lupin has betrayed them and is covering for Hagrid, who is someone else, right? Right, like, yeah. That's how it reads because there's no, there's no other reason for this to be in there, especially when you you have like worked up this like contrived way for characters to say personal stuff to reveal that they're real why would you not take that opportunity to let Hagrid say something personal and characterful nope it just doesn't work on half giants I guess yeah sorry Hagrid sorry it's a good thing you got expelled in second year because you can't do all the magic because you're not a human it sucks so bad. Anyway, yeah. Please continue to your point too. Yeah. So, 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 like that. That basically covers it, right? Is it's like you, you, the polyjuice thing almost came back in a way where I would would have relented on my criticism because I was like, oh, if this was a scene where the the very real possibility was that someone double polyjuiced and now everyone is suspicious of each other and there's like sort of having this like big. 14 way standoff here right like that's kind of cool but because not only is one of the players immediately removed from the board of suspicion uh but like the the idea that polyjuice could have played into it is immediately shot down or not even shot down it's just like harry refuses to even engage with the possibility that something bad happened it it's less characterful for Harry and more just like it stifles the mystery. It's like it's like it dangles this really exciting possibility in front of you and then decides, oh, but we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna we're gonna raise a glass to, to Moody instead. It's 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 lame. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, it does it does construct the potential for this mystery here that is contained in the scene, but then has your point of view character who is good and right basically say like no, this is not a mystery. No, this is not an issue and makes that like about being good. Like it is good to have not no suspense in this scene. Right, yeah, like that that is the the this this it's it's a bummer that the conflict between lupin and harry here seems to boil down to harry being right and lupin being mean because i feel like there's a re there's real potential in this scene for like harry to realize that like the way lupin treated him as a child is the way that is different from the way lupin treats him as an equal 
now, right? And like, mm-hmm. like that's that's potentially very very rich, but like, it just makes Lupin look like a dickhead. Uh, but only but only because Harry is such a saint in this scene. Yeah. Do you want to talk about their argument? Yes, absolutely. There's there's I, like we should just I'm just gonna like ping pong between all the stuff in this chapter that that bothered me. It's, <laughs> okay. It's 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 such a clusterfuck. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, Expelliarmus is textually Harry's signature spell now. That I is... I can't believe it. So fucking crazy to me. Like, like, th- there, there's a version of this where I appreciate the meta text here, but it is so... Just... It, it is impossible for me to take this seriously in the way that the book wants me to, I think is the problem. Like... Like this isn't this isn't a funny goofy meta story. This is a a very serious war story going like oh that that thing that everyone's been joking about for the years that these books have been coming out actually it was real and it was important to the plot and now someone is dead because of it. It's so <laughs> funny to me. I wish that I could place this in the timeline of Expelliarmus becoming a meme and a popular culture, like, refrain for Harry, because I legitimately, like, this is like a chicken and an egg situation. Mm -hmm. I can't figure it out. I have a hard time not reading it as anything other than J.K. Rowling working that popular conception of Harry and that criticism or joke or whatever you want to call it into the text as, like, a gotcha yeah, but I don't know if the timeline works. I sw- like th- this could be just completely like implanted memories, right? But I swear that people were joking about Harry only doing Expelliarmus like before this book came out. I feel like that was a joke. Like I feel like I remember that being a joke like around specifically Order of the Phoenix because it's like oh he learned he finally learned a new spell the patronus or whatever or like he's finally doing a second spell here i uh i i i but i could be completely wrong i i i i would be very curious to see if we could find like hard evidence of like what people thought about expelliarmus in 2006 right like uh that would be that would be valuable i think I just can't buy this idea that a big part of Harry's character is that he wants to use non-lethal force no matter what, because using lethal force would make him as bad as the bad guys. Yeah. Considering that, like, that seems to be true, except when he just gets too mad, right? Like, it was not that long ago that was the end of the sixth book where it's like, oh, well, he got mad enough at Snape to to start sectum sempraing him. And it wasn't too long ago that he got so mad at Bellatrix he wanted to literally torture her. Yeah. So I don't know if I can just buy this being written into his character here. And I wish... The, the, the thing that I think is just a, a real... Um like problem with this is like i i can i can buy that being a character trait for someone sure what what makes it very confusing here is is not only you know is it very inconsistent with what we know of harry as as of not that long ago right um but also like no matter how hard this scene tries to frame lupin as the bad guy here i don't think he's wrong <laughs> and it's very weird that it is 
I, I, like I, the, because I know that we're supposed to believe Harry here because he's the main character and he is Jesus. Uh, he is, he is the savior of the wizarding world here that his, his belief in like pure pacifism is correct. And I, I just find that so not only difficult for, for like, uh, uh, to, for me to believe of Harry as a character. Like, this goes back to the end of book six, where I'm just like, where did this inhuman, like, saintly level of grace come from all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, also it just, it, it, it really, and, like, this isn't a surprise. We've known this for a long time. But, like, it, it, it is such a funny, like, encapsulation of, like, what J.K. Rowling thinks revolutionary politics are. Like, this is, I mean, this is the blueprint for the Dumbledore and Crimes of Grindelwald scene where he's like, if you, if you're too mean to the Nazis, that'll only make them more powerful. Uh, And, and like, it's the same here. It's like, there is, outside of, like, some, like, supernatural uh, uh, theological concept of, like, sin and grace and whatnot here... There is basically no reason why any of these characters should feel bad for blasting Death Eaters who are chasing them, trying to kill them. Like, is that not why we are all here? Is that not what the entire purpose of this this revolution is? To like fight the Death Eaters? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Pass? You're gonna pass legislation? Is this, are the, are you doing a change.org petition to declare Death Eaters a terrorist organization? Is that it? Is that their goal? Like, what, what do you- You have to vote. <laughs> you gotta go vote. You gotta go vote? Like, what do you, what's, what is the goal here? I mean, like, like, I get, I get specifically Harry having some hangups with blasting Stan Shunpike, right? Especially yeah, because he's like mind controlled or whatever. Yeah, he's, he's mind controlled. He knows the guy. He would probably feel some feelings about that. But like, it's shoot the fucking Death Eater. Like, like who cares? What, what, what? Especially in this world where not only is it like a life and death situation where you are also being pursued to be killed, and not even maybe just killed, maybe maybe tortured and then killed, um, but also through the way that these books are written death eaters are all cartoon people so you're not even like i can't even buy like the realistic like oh no matter no matter what they believe that's still a human life i've taken right <laughs> like it's not like i can't even buy it from that angle like that's like that's a valid uh exploration of of, of feelings in like a uh, like a realistic like war movie right this idea that like oh no matter what like it's still hard to take a human life but like these are all cartoon draculas. They all live in like giant <laughs> like giant like Luigi's mansion ass buildings and go like, "Oh, how are we going to subjugate the muggles today? Oh, I think I will do a little torture spell on Ollivander." Like like that is their entire life is being evil. So <laughs> I just can't neither neither like outside of the story nor inside the story do i find these politics convincing i think they're so confused there's there i just i i don't know like i i think it's i like you said i think it's fine that harry's like oh well i didn't want to kill stan shunpike because he's innocent right yeah 
and to have Lupin go like, well, this is a war, but when they turn it into this weird meta discussion about Harry letting the disarming spell become his signature spell is just like, it just completely loses the thread. And it continues from there because obviously Harry talks about like big stuff, like trusting and, and being trusted and on and on, but it's just, it's just a mess. But also like Lupin is again, right in that part of the conversation too. Like, like yeah, they were literally betrayed, weren't they? Yeah. They, they one, one, they were betrayed and two, um, when he brings up James, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. you remind me of James, who was also too trusting and paid for it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's not wrong. Like, maybe, again, maybe a little harsh to bring bring up Harry's dead dad to him in this situation. But, like, also, f- like, fuck. Like, like, that is exactly what happened to James. And we are not going to find out anything to the contrary, Peter Pettigrew did betray him. That was Sirius's entire deal. Um, so I I don't know why I don't know why I, I think that's the thing, is it is it's 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 not unbelievable to me for a character to hold these beliefs. I'm not saying like like far be it for me to suggest that I demand all characters have my exact politics. That's fucking boring, obviously. But it is absolutely unbelievable to me that harry with his lived experiences of being betrayed all the fucking time like his his dad got betrayed uh uh fake moody betrayed him uh and nearly got him killed he like he uh, so far as far as he knows snape betrayed him and dumbledore right there is no outside of being necessary for the story of harry being the messiah there is Mm -hmm. no reason for him to have this belief i think that is like the core problem with it is is, is not that i think it's an un like an unreasonable thing character trait to have for anyone i think that it is just specifically stupid for harry potter and just and just like really reveals that he is being shoehorned into the jesus role uh, for no reason, right? Like, fuck, G- Jesus has better character development than Harry Potter does, and he is literally right. a messiah figure, right? Like, but it's, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that his his transformation into Jesus works on the level of the material story that's happening, especially because it, like, I, I think about book six, right, and I. I still am having, like, complicated feelings about Harry's, like, relationship with Dumbledore in that book. Yeah. Not in a good way, but, like, he, like his being fashioned into a weapon to fight Voldemort, mm-hmm. right? And and he has these moments that I think are supposed to be character development moments where it's like he has to have this realization, like, I have to kill Voldemort so other people don't die. And that doesn't, like, materially work to have this character fashioned into a weapon, into a soldier that necessarily has to kill someone to save the world to be this, like, pacifist. It only works on the level of a Jesus figure because Harry is the weapon against Voldemort if Voldemort is sin and evil and hatred, but it doesn't work against <laughs> Voldemort, just the human guy <laughs> that, that he needs to kill, right? Yeah. Well, and, and also, too, it is weird that Harry has that honestly much more, like, 
mature view in book six, which is that, like, I don't want to have to kill someone, but, like, to protect the people I love, I will, right? And, mm-hmm. and like, like to, to protect the downtrodden and prote- to protect the innocent, I will kill Voldemort. Versus here, where he's like, I'm not going to blast people just for being in my way. That's Voldemort's job. Which is a bonkers thing to say, because, like, they're not just in your way. They want to torture and kill you and then the rest of the muggle population. Right. Like, they're not... These aren't, like, random guys in the street with dumb political opinions. These are, like... Hugo Boss uniform wearing Nazi soldiers like pointing their guns at you like like it's 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 a it it's it's ludicrous for Harry to un- have that mature like like oh that so that 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 Rambo understanding that like oh I ha- I hate to do it but I've got to do it to him to 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 protect the you know to protect the downtrodden and then also to just be like, well, but as soon as as soon as they appear and try to kill me or anyone I love, I'm just gonna go like, ooh, Expelliarmus, put your gun down. Like it's just, uh, Harry is not a character. We say it over and over again, but like like at this critical juncture, where we're book seven out of seven, we better get some sort of characterization out of the main character. I still don't know who he is. Yeah, I think this is just an unfortunate byproduct of what happens when you're trying to tell your your political story, but are completely unwilling to examine your own like beliefs or cultural context, either within yourself or in the text, <laughs> to even ask questions. And then all of a sudden you have the main character spouting your unexamined beliefs at random, and then just thinking like, oh, that sounds good. Right, I think that that is the thing that 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 really kills it right is it's 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 not that harry is a character who arrives at this conclusion because of his experiences and represents a political ideology right mm-hmm. it is that harry represents a political ideology without any character development to get there mm-hmm. it is purely he is purely a mouthpiece here like like when people complain about stories being too political, my charitable view is that this is what they mean, right? Is <laughs> is like if 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 they're not just using coded language to say I wish that there weren't gay people in this book, um what what when people are like bounce off of things because they are too political, it's because the characters just feel like they are there to say the author's political opinions and like the, most characters do exist to do that right like that's most stories exist to do that but there is a um a level of uh introspection a level of development a level of uh uh, uh like good storytelling like just honestly like like if, if this is basic storytelling stuff is that the, the characters can't just uh, representative of your opinions they need to get there themselves as characters and harry has never gotten anywhere as a character he is a different person in every book and he has just arrived in book seven as a pacifist and there's not you know not this is not a slam on pacifism but it is a weird position for harry to hold and is transparently just jk rowling's position right mm-hmm 
Yeah, I mean, it's similar to the Horcruxes, I think, which is where there's context here that it, it, it that just goes like it. It is clear to me that she has no interest in examining the like things that she wants to put in the books in the mm-hmm. same way that the Horcruxes like are necessary. Like you have to come to it with your own knowledge of like Christian belief to even be on the same page. Yes. And it is the same here where it's like it has to assume necessarily that you are existing in the context of her beliefs yeah. to know it, what the hell he's even talking about. Yeah, th- this is this is pure like, well, you're a pacifist, right? So obvi- and, and Harry is, too. So you guys are right. My audience, yeah. right? Like it. It's. uh It's just it's yeah. Like, like you said, the Horcruxes thing is a good, good example. It's just like. It's not an exploration of theology. It is just the theology. Mm-hmm. I, I talked a little bit about like how funny it is that the suspense is so like thin in this chapter that mm-hmm. could be very suspenseful. I want to talk about like the parade of people returning once Harry's gotten there. Oh, it's so boring. I kept flipping forward being like, is this chapter almost over? And there's so many pages, <laughs> but yeah. So so Harry gets back. He's the first. Ooh, that's a little suspenseful. Where could everyone else be? Um, then the others start trickling in. And I think... So I think the one that works the strongest for me, and I think this is probably just because these are, like, fun characters to see in a more stressful situation, mm-hmm. is, like, when Fred and George are back. And, like, is it George's ear that gets cut off? Yeah. Like, like By him... Snape. Yes, yeah, Snape cut off his ear. Oh no. Um what could that possibly mean? I wonder I wonder if Snape was intentionally aiming for just his ear. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, um I like their very characterful like like George making a joke out of it thing. Like mm-hmm. that's cute. Like that's that's a very cute scene. The rest of them are so lame because like <laughs> you the, the for one, I think the funniest part is after this huge conversation Lupin and Harry have about pacifism, and Harry's like, "I will never use, I will never even use stupefy against a person on a broom because they'll fall and die." Um, uh, Ron lands and is like, "Yo, I fucking headshotted a guy with stupefy. I knocked that guy off of his fucking broom, and it was sick. I love that." Like. <laughs> Just wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about this timeline of Harry almost shooting a random woman because she looked like Bellatrix, <laughs> becoming a pacifist for two pages, and then Ron <laughs> coming in and be like, yo, I just killed someone. Yeah, what what was Harry going to do with his wand <laughs> to Bellatrix? Um, Expelliarmus. Expelliarmus. Ah, ooh, you got me. I'm defeated. <laughs> um, yeah, so so yeah, so Harry Harry nearly nearly like just blast <laughs> bellatrix fake bellatrix then he's like i would never i would never shoot a death eater i would never do that and then ron <laughs> appears and is like not only did it, not only does he like say like oh i killed the death eater more or less he also like describes it as like oh i got him right between the eyes i fucking laid that guy out i i i blew that guy to smithereens it was sick no scope right in right in the head one tap and no one and like neither lupin nor harry like scolds him for it really like 
just it just goes to show that like all of the all of these scenes are so fucking disconnected none of no there's no character development here there's no like consistent ex- exploration of politics that's being exp- like laid out here it is just in the scenes where we're supposed to learn something harry behaves like it's a, like an after school special and then everyone else forgets as soon as that scene is done and it just everyone goes on their merry way it's so weird yeah i mean besides just even like politics there's just no basic consistency of the mechanics of what's happening because if harry had stupefied stan shunpike and he fell to his death and then ron comes in and is like i stupefied someone and he fell off his broom and it's like not even lupin says like yeah that's how you you have to do that you have to kill someone or it just is completely there's yeah. no thread. You could fix this with like one line where it's like, I don't know, Lupin looked at Harry pointedly or something, right? Like after Ron says this, right? Like, like you can, you could sure, make whatever. this. Yeah. Just dude, th- throw me something here that makes me believe that this was a chapter that was planned out from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, at least that's like the war movie of like the, the, the soldier that's like, I don't want to kill people. And then like the other soldier comes in and is like, yo, I just killed someone. And like, that's like identifiable at least. <laughs> I just blew that guy's head off. Woo. <laughs> I just love, I just love that Ron, Ron clearly doesn't care all that much. Ron, Ron, Ron's in a much uh, more uh, uh, soldier like headspace than Harry here. Even though Harry spent all of book six become being forged into a weapon. <laughs> I support Ron, Ron here. I, I, I it's been a long time since I ha- haven't uh, since I've enjoyed Ron, so I'm glad that he got a headshot. Well, this this is so funny too because you know how like something we've talked about with Ron on this podcast since the beginning is how funny it is that like in book one he is so brave and loyal to Harry that he <laughs> sacrifices himself at 11 years old in the chess game. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes, like, this sniveling little shit for the rest of the series. He, like, yeah. regresses. And and I gotta say, now that the chips are down and they're, and they're fighting the Death Eaters, Ron is the one... I mean, like, th- this whole... Th- th- this is one thing that the characters do point out to Harry after this, right? Which is like, hey, we did all of this for you, guy. Like, mm-hmm. we, we, we did all this so you could come to this fucking stupid wedding in the first place. Um... Ron didn't think twice. Ron wasn't there going like, damn, I just I just killed a guy uh to to protect my friend or whatever. He just did it. And I'm like, oh, Ron, here's there's the Ron I remember liking in book one. Yeah, like, Ron's damn, fucking out here. Ron Ron's out here. Ron, Harry has shooters and doesn't appreciate them. <laughs> yeah, I just I um like on the other on the flip side of it, it is very funny that Ron, a seventeen year old, is so giddy about just bl- blowing a guy's face off uh, and and making him fall to his death. But like, cool, <laughs> you know, like good for him, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's so funny that like Harry and Ron, because of the way this chapter is written and how disjointed the like the 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 like portrayal of of the drama is here. Is that they are basically just polar opposites, and no one says anything in this scene. Like, like no one draws a line between Harry's pacifism and Ron's like unquestioning dispatching of a of a Death Eater. Yeah, I mean, I guess my 
like some of my read on that is that it's similar to the Dursleys. It's like Harry exists in the like gritty war movie world of Harry Potter and Ron in the scene, or rather his action scene that we didn't get to see exists in the cartoon world. Yeah. Yeah. He lives in the anime world where that, where it's just sort of like unquestioned that like, yeah, you fight for your friends. Yeah. And he like blasted a death eater and the death eater fell, you know, a hundred feet to the ground. And there was like an explosion down there. It just blew up. (laughs) Just like the Hedwig sidecar explosion. Yeah. That guy also blew up. Yeah, it's it's just a mess. And like the 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 uh the best part of that is that so there, there's like this underlying tension throughout this chapter. It's like, oh, who's coming back? Like who's who who isn't here yet? Once Ron gets there, the conversation gets so bogged down that like that suspense is sort of put on the back burner. And there's this hilarious moment where like Tonks showed up finally, <laughs> or actually, it might be the opposite. It was like like Tonks shows up, and like the suspense is lifted because like part of why I guess like the explanation that, that the chapter offers like why why is uh, uh, Lupin being a dickhead to Harry is that that Tonks isn't back yet. And then oh, is Tonk- that what that is? Kind of because like he he there there's something about like when Tonks lands and like he like unclenches like lupin unclenches his jaw or something and he's like their relationship so much sucks so fucking bad but like he his 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 sexy wife finally lands and and he he's relieved to see her alive but also i think this is where he gets the idea to like run away from her or whatever because he just you know he can't he can't handle this stress Ugh. um but then they like forget about everyone else until like Fleur shows up, I think, and Bill. Like, Bill and Fleur show up with with news later, but, like, when they showed up, I thought that everyone had made it back already. So there's just, like, this lack of suspense, and then everyone's like, oh, great, oh, yes, oh, we were so worried about you, Bill. Oops. Like, ooh. Yeah, a lot of, all of, I mean, Bill is probably the least visible of the Weasleys as, like, a character, other than, I guess, Charlie, who yeah. I have no idea where he is or what he's doing. Um... But it is so weird that you're trying to build the suspense of who's going to come back, but you get all of the characters that people care about out of the way first. <laughs> um, yeah, and like then, and then the suspense lifts because like no longer are there any characters in question that you care about. Bill and Fleur do a cool move. They arrive on a Thestral that does like a sideways landing, which is pretty cool. Yeah, sick drift. I think Tonks does a drift too. I think they, I think they all kind of have like a, a cool entrance. But but like it 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 is so funny that they have that like like oops yeah we also care about uh about Bill being back and Bill delivering the news that Mad Eye this character that we also barely know has has fallen. We don't uh, know Mad Eye. We don't know we, real Mad Eye Moody. We just don't know Mad Eye Moody. Like we talked about this at length last chapter, but like there was a part specifically in in this chapter that I thought was so funny as an addendum to that when uh, when Bill breaks the news that oh oh darn he died he died doing what he loved <laughs> kicking the shit out of death ears and harry says to himself uh harry could not quite comprehend it mad eye dead it could not be mad eye so tough so brave the consummate survivor what harry is he talking about yeah harry does not know any of that shit it's what? so weird cuz it's like okay there is some amount of fondness in a meta way 
for that people have, which is the idea of Mad-Eye Moody as readers that we have from reading fake Mad-Eye Moody, Harry should not feel anything about this guy. He's had two scenes with him. He's met him twice. So like at most she'd be like, ah, that sucks. Yeah. There's also the bit where Tonks was crying silently into a handkerchief. She had been close to Mad-Eye, Harry knew, his favorite and his protege at the Ministry of Magic. Did we know that? Harry knew it. Harry knew that, I don't think we knew it. Yeah. Like, like, utter nonsense. I wish that we had gotten to know the real Moody, because, like, I still, I I like the idea of Moody a lot. Like, I was thinking about our, like our reading of the first chapter, he, not when he was introduced as fake Moody, but when Arthur and, and them were talking about him getting in trouble in book four. Right. And they were like, yeah, he was super cool. He was like the most badass death eater killer guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a little paranoid now, maybe. Um, yeah. And I want to spend more time with that character because there's kind of an unspoken thing here that like M- Moody was like completely vindicated by the events of this book real moody was vindicated right like his paranoia was justified the death eaters did come back despite what harry says he is instilled in lupin that like yeah you've got to fucking shoot these guys right like you 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 can't if the death eaters are coming at you with the gun spell you should probably fight back right like Mm -hmm. moody is a potentially really fascinating character with some very like but like much harder edged ideals than anyone else in this in the series and maybe maybe that's why he doesn't show up so much right it's just like he's sort of he's maybe too appealing from that perspective uh if if jk rowling's trying to push harry as like her mouthpiece of her own personal like views on pacifism right cuz he's he was right moody was right the whole time yeah I, I do like Moody. I think that you're right. I wish that we could have seen more of him because I think he is an interesting character. But I'm going to go full galaxy brain mm. and say that we never should have seen the real Moody because I'm so into this double cross polyjuice um, potion thing. Oh, and this would have been, been an incredible moment if it was like it was never the real Moody. And oh, it would have been like shit. it would have been like the coolest like Voldemort plan too, right? Because Crouch Jr. was Voldemort's guy and he had him presumably become Moody. And it's like no one knows where Moody is. Moody disappeared. We've never known the real Moody. Moody was immediately a plant. Oh fuck. That would have been so sick. That would have been sick. Holy shit. I love that idea. The, the idea that like, oh, that would make the polyjuice thing make so much more thematic sense too. Like Harry just unquestionably being like, oh, well, if the real Moody says we should do this polyjuice plan, sure. And then it just being the same trick again. Yeah, got you twice. Fuck, got you twice. Fuck, that would be so good. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow, I love that. Um, This is a much more minor thing, but... uh. I think we've jumped the shark with Floor's dialogue in this book. Mm. Did I? Did you have as much trouble reading her big paragraph as I did? When I think I read it a couple times, yeah. It is like I feel like if it was any anyone other than like a white culture, this you would have this book would have been canceled long ago. <laughs> Cover this is. is it. 
she, it's written entirely phonet- phonetically. Yes, and that is all very good, snapped Fleur. But still, eat does not explain how they knew we were moving airy tonight does eat. Somebody must have been careless. Somebody let slip the date to an outsider. It is the only explanation for them knowing the date, but not the old plan. Like... Just, just say that she's speaking in a French accent if you must. And even then, we already know she's French, so it doesn't, like, matter. Yeah, or, like, you, I feel like you can pick one of those, right? Like, if you want to just add a little zest to a character's dialogue or whatever and, like, and like show that they have, like, a very strong accent. Like, I think you, I think you can pick one of these. Like, say, oh, Zay or Zat or or ol you can pick one of those you mm-hmm. can't do all of them at once because it just comes off as really i, I don't know patronize I, I don't know what the really the right way to describe it but it, it's not charming it's just it's a little bit it certainly like undermines her as a character i can take seriously right it also just makes it actively less fun to read because yeah harder. yeah it's it, it, it stifles the imagination too because like this is such a stereotypical, like, just, like, broad French accent, right? But, like, there are tons of regional accents, right? Like, you can imagine any, any like, variation of a French accent here if you yeah. were just told, like, oh, she's I, spoken a strong accent. I guess that's the thing, is that I can imagine a French accent in my head. I can't read that in a French accent, right? Exactly. I read, I yeah. read it phonetically. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I just, like, I, I dread to think, like... Like I, I feel like the only reason this kind of goes un, unchecked is it's because it's like, well, it's like it's, it's a white French lady. Could you imagine if like J.K. Rowling wrote like a Creole character or something? Like it would be a fucking nightmare. Like absolutely, like you, yeah. It would be it would be a disaster. It would be unconscionable. And I don't know why she does this, uh, especially because like everyone in this series has a British accent. And I know, I realize that, like, if you are British, you don't really, you know, you don't really, like, think about the British accent, right? But, like, it is so funny to be, like, taking shots at other accents while, like, writing everyone as having British accents, right? It's, like, at a certain point, it's a little bit, like, okay, like, you're dishing this out, but could you take it? Like if I if I showed up at J.K. Rowling's house, I'm like, oh, watch a Joe, it's me. I'm a I'm a right British cunt. I am roopy doopy doop. Like like would she would she like that? Probably not. <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. I'm English, but still, like it's just it's just like what the fuck? Why why do you get away with this? It's it's bad. Oh God! So they toast Mad Eye. Uh, Oh, just sorry. I highlighted all of the things about Mad-Eye we learned in this chapter that are mm. like assumed. Mad-Eye yeah. had always been scathing about Dumbledore's willingness to trust people. Did always. he? Was he? Did we ever see that? <laughs> I mean, I guess we just know. Well, no, because we saw fake Mad-Eye. Don't trust anyone. Yes. Yeah. That, I don't Um. So I guess the last big piece of this chapter is this, this uh, Ollivander occlumency scene. What do you what do you make of this? Just exposition. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. It just immediately defeats the mystery of what's going on. I don't know why Harry needs to have this information. Yeah. It's very lucky that he 
looked into Voldemort's head as soon as Voldemort was saying a key piece of information. Updated my journal. Yeah. That's what Harry says here. It's very video game cutscene. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I realize that's kind of a funny, silly criticism to fall back on, but, like, it really just does have that, like... It has the air of a story that's, like, being told for convenience, right? Like, if something like this happened in, like, an arcade game or whatever... I wouldn't think twice because it's just set up for the story, right? But, like, in book seven out of seven of a, like, dense fantasy mystery series, you're just, like, delivering key <laughs> exposition to a character through a scene where the bad guy's like, ah, here's my, I'm going to monologue my plan. I hope no one's listening. That why, would be why is Harry's connection with Voldemort's brain, like, literally just delivering audio logs to him? Right, yes, exactly. It is a video game audio log, which would be fine in a video game. It's <laughs> like insane here, right? It's like, damn, that's a very convenient time for Harry to like look into into uh uh, uh fucking Voldemort's head. Uh also I thought nonsense. that Hermione said like, I thought your connection was broken, and I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I thought I, it, guess I, I feel like it was maybe one sentence hand waved away because it felt like the story didn't want to deal with it anymore, which is where it was like Dumbledore was like, ah, Voldemort realized that you being in his head could also work against him. Yeah. So he's not going to do it anymore. Yeah, in book six we did get some sort of throwaway thing about like why we weren't seeing that anymore. I think you're exactly right. I think that was what what it was what it was. Which is Dumbledore fine. Saying, if like, you want to write something out, do it. I don't yeah. care. Um, but don't bring, don't bring it don't back. Don't bring it back later. <laughs> if you wrote it out, you wrote it out for a reason, you know? You need to deliver this key piece of information, um, yeah. which is maybe a... And also the golden sparks thing, I don't get it all. I guess that's the mystery. Why did Harry's wand the golden do goop. golden goop? The golden goop is actually very important. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's just... it's It's... Similar to the Deathly Hallows, similar to the um, Horcruxes, and now we have the Golden Goop and this wand drama. It's like, this is all just set up for Voldemort to go and get the Elder Wand, which is something we have never heard of before. Uh, we are going to learn about halfway through Book 7, and ultimately boils down to he needs to get the super weapon like so many fucking Marvel movies and sci-fi novels and, and movies and whatnot. It's just a really lame cop out. And like, I, I'm just eternally bummed by that. Cause there's so much potential in this series for like bringing back or like like you know referencing stuff that happened in previous books to like make that stuff matter and to make it feel like this was a mystery that was playing out from the beginning and that all the clues have been here all along but that's not the case it's just we're we're in book seven out of seven and we are being introduced to a new mystery and the new mystery is why doesn't why does Voldemort's and Harry's wands shoot golden goop at each other when they fight and the answer is, well, you need the cool new wand that no one has heard of before until now. And it's like, did we need seven books to get here? Yeah, I mean, it is very Marvel movie. And I already think Marvel movies are kind of boring, but I get the appeal, right? Because it's yeah. like, you know, you get to see the, like, 
pretty actors do like cool action sequences and they're like, oh, we need Thing or Thing will destroy the world. And, um, and it's Iron more Man a vehicle for those funny. interactions. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, we get to see the Hulk talk to Thor. And like, that's cool. And they yeah. say funny stuff back and forth at each other. Just terrible for a novel. It really <laughs> just doesn't work. Terrible for the seventh out of seven novels in particular, right? Just like, like, it, it, like I said, you know, a movie is an hour and a half long. It's more often than not just a vehicle for for like those interactions to happen, and like the plot really doesn't matter as much, right? Mm-hmm. This is a mystery uh, where not only, you know, is it supposed to be a, a, a seven book saga. But, like, even at the time, we were being told by J.K. Rowling throughout throughout these books' release that she had planned out the whole thing uh, and that previous books were going to matter and you should reread them to, you know, to gather the clues and you'll be able to figure it out. And it's like, no one could predict this. I'm sure someone, I'm sure I would love to re- do some research and see if there's anyone who predicted in like 2006 like oh i bet there is a super wand <laughs> that the 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 voldemort's going to need to get like there is nothing in this series that suggests that outside of in, unless you are, are are someone who is like immersed with like how bad fantasy novels end up right like unless you were like actively negative about the series and were predicting like oh none of this is gonna matter i bet there's just gonna be a super weapon at the end like i could see that happening but like the the rest of it is just like nonsense it was all made up for this book in particular the deathly hallows don't matter until now they've never mattered they never showed up there was never a hint that there was some sort of special wand that you could use to defeat other wands the concept of wands defeating wands is still very thin in this series like like that's going to be a concept that i don't think is going to end up being explained satisfactorily like like why wands don't work or do work in certain situations like it's just all meaningless it's nonsense Yeah, I mean, I kind of liked uh, abstractly the idea that Harry and Voldemort's wand couldn't fight each other because they were brothers. I think there's some thematic stuff you can do there. It's kind of interesting. It's uh, it's a funny way for Voldemort to be defeated by what is just like a technicality. Um, There's some some threads there of Harry like the broad thematics of the story and moralizing of the story is like Harry and Voldemort being the same, except for their choices, um, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But again, I think the elder wand is just another, another thing where it's like, take all that meaning away. It's just about finding the, the, the strongest wand that can defeat all the other (laughs) wands because we, the story needs to have a super weapon to, to resolve itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is disappointing. This book continues to disappoint me, is what I will say. Voldemort can fly. Voldemort can fly. A lot of people say that in this chapter. More and more people are saying this. I love that this is like a reveal. Yeah. 
It's it not only is it a reveal, but like multiple characters say it to each other, and there's one in particular that killed me, which was Voldemort. Was it is it Harry explaining it to Lupin or Lupin passing it on to someone else where he's like Voldemort and then like M Dash. He can fly, M Dash, just just as an aside. Like, oh my god. It's very um like anime to me like the idea that Voldemort like got a special power and it's like flying it feels so inconsequential in the universe of Harry Potter like who gives a shit if Voldemort can fly everyone can you can go to the store and buy a broom and fly around you know I yeah I had a very cursed reaction to this which was Mm. I I remembered sitting there in the theater last year watching the latest Star Wars movie mm. and that fucking part where they're like there's like the stormtrooper with the jetpack oh hell yeah and and all the characters go they fly now they fly now they fly now like like that's like the like it's like the big gag is that the stormtroopers fly now and it's like yeah they've always been able to do that what are you We're fucking, in fucking talking about? Space fantasy. It's a, it's Where a do you space think this movie. is? It's a space movie. Of course they can fly. And like that's that's that was all I could think of was like Voldemort. He flies now. Voldemort. Like, he flies it, now. He can fly now. He yeah, flies that, now. The reveal is so weird because like you know, gotta say in our real life, if someone could fly of their own power, that would be a pretty big reveal. Yeah. You know? Um. In the world of Harry Potter, I just don't think that it even, like, is on the radar. When you turn 17, you take teleportation lessons. Right. So who cares if Voldemort can fly? (laughs) That flying seems like a more antiquated mode of travel than what literally every teenager learns in Harry Potter. It doesn't seem very useful. Like, I guess it is if (laughs) Harry's on a broom and Voldemort maybe is not very good at flying on brooms. And so he just decides to fly of his own power. (laughs) That's why he just sucks at flying brooms. (laughs) Voldemort can't drive. It just, it just, it just really is. It's like Harry's like, he can fly now. And everyone's reaction to that should be like, yeah, we were all flying. Are you okay? Did you hit your head? (laughs) Did you bump your head on something? My my guy? You played the flying sport. (laughs) We, we can all teleport at a moment's notice. You, you just, you just touched a hairbrush that took you from one location to another. Harry, you're a wizard. Do you remember? Are you okay? Do you have amnesia? I wish this was a book about Harry having amnesia. <laughs> Harry just forgetting where he was. Forgetting that he was a wizard. Oh yeah. my god. At this point, that fucking image that gets posted on the uh, on the subreddit every week of like Harry sitting in a train station in a drug haze and like <laughs> things things that vaguely look like the characters standing around him it's like whoa what if what if harry was just on drugs and like none of this was real i feel like that actually might have ended up being more interesting than what we got yeah it doesn't seem hard <laughs> it would have been something anyway anything any last words on this chapter or should we put this one to bed um no, I think that's I think that's it for me. Yeah. I think I think we lucked out in having such a dumbass fucking chapter to talk about after JK Rowling's dumbass fucking turf manifesto this weekend. I'll say that. Um it was good to just it felt like we exercised some demons this week. Yeah, I think so. I think we're Be going gone. to continue to 
and get lucky in the way that the rest of this book is going to be really bad. That's my feeling. Mm-hmm. This is I such love- a reversal. Like, I feel like the other books that I didn't remember very well, we started and they started off really strong. And I'm like, oh, I hope it keeps up, but I don't think it's going to. And this is the mm-hmm. opposite. Like, this is just so shitty from the very first page and it's just going to be bad the whole time. Yeah, that's kind of my gut feeling, but we'll see. I will try my best to remain objective, but you never know at this point. It's just, it's not very good, folks. And it's not just because J.K. Rowling is a horrible turf. The book just kind of sucks on its own as well. Um, But all right, we've gone very, very long. Shall we take it to the close now? Do you yeah, think? let's do it. Alright, our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them, as always, for letting us use it as our theme song. You can check them out on Bandcamp, and you can check us out at patreon.com slash streetcast. We have lots and lots of fun content for you to listen to there, all for the low, low price of $3 a month. Liz, what are we reading next week? Uh, We're reading chapter six. It's called The Ghoul in Pajamas. Ooh, I'm excited. (laughs) I'm very excited to find out what this is. I'm very excited to find out about The Ghoul in Pajamas. But uh, even with that in mind, even with the promise of ghouls dangling in front of us in ghoul studies, please read another book. Please read another book. Makes ocean raw seem tame Better know what you're after If you catch a eye Cause this hot mama Is just a cat in disguise